Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Upside Swings podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined as always by Stone Hansen and the great Ryan Davis, and joined in our next series of guests by the great, the powerful Shemit Dua. Uh, here to talk about the Pelicans today. Shemit, how you doing? Oh, gosh, that's quite the introduction. I'm doing well. How are you guys? <laughs> I'm good, man. I just got back from yeah. vacation. We recorded enough pods to get all but I think one or two days we missed. So I was very happy about that. Um, but I'm excited to be back to it. I missed this. This is uh, this is my church. Stone, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited too. It's it's been a while. Um, the Pelicans are one of the most fun teams I think to talk about, uh, especially in regards to the draft and all the different directions they can go with their sort of wacky teams. So uh, this should be exciting. Absolutely. And Davis, uh, the glue, the Draymond Green of the team. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to I'm glad to be back on the podcast. Uh, not working and and excited to uh watch the the number one prospects go at it tomorrow so looking forward to that one yeah there's uh there's a lot of fun stuff going on in the world of basketball uh i've been grinding tape on like my 150 through 250 ranked prospects and that is way more fun than it has any right to be um (laughs) but we are here to talk about at least at first some top 10 prospects um the new orleans pelicans have the 10th pick and then in the second round, they have the 35th, the 40th, the 43rd, and the 53rd pick. Chances they make all those picks are uh, less than one, I would say. But the chances they make the 10th pick are, are pretty high. So, Shemit, I'm going to throw it to you first. Um, do you want to break down some team needs for the Pelicans and uh, some some guys who might fall to 10 uh, that you think should be in play for them? So I think the Pelicans need to put themselves in a position where they can't be picky about who they're taking at 10, most of all, they need talent on the team. They just need to get better players in the building. And so if that causes a redundancy based off of someone who's already on the roster, no problem. Because in my eyes, outside of Zion and maybe Brandon Ingram, none of those guys should be influencing your decision on on who to pick at 10. That being said, I believe that they can use more shooting. I believe they can use more wings. I believe that they can use... Uh, just more shot creation in general, both self-creation as well as creating shots for others. So I think perimeter talent should be more of the focus rather than big man talent, if I had to pick. Yeah, that's I would I would agree watching the Pelicans this year. Uh, you know, they had the incredible Zion who managed to be one of the most efficient rim scorers of all time, despite having pretty poor spacing. Um, and I hear spacing shot creation, wing, 10th pick, my brain immediately goes to Zaire Williams. Uh, Zaire Williams is someone who I have continually risen on. I actually started the year kind of lower on him. And even despite his his rough season at Stanford, he's still risen up my board. I really buy uh, Zaire. And I think he's someone who should be in play for this 10th pick. So, Schmidt, do you have any thoughts on Zaire or some other guys who you think the, the Pelicans should really be looking at? Zaire is very interesting because him and Brandon Ingram together on the same team would be like the Spider-Man meme going at each other. Uh, I do do believe that you can't get enough of those type of players, especially guys that can kind of score from all over the floor. Uh, Their shots are really difficult to contest because of their size. 
and and just the offensive talent that Zaire has. You're right. I think he'd he'd make a good fit. Uh, he'd also be one of those prospects that might take a little bit uh, to fill in and and start contributing on on the NBA level. I mean, even with Brandon Ingram, it was really towards the tail end of his third year before he started taking a leap. And then his fourth year, he had a breakout season, made the all-star team. And so I don't know if the Pelicans should consider how early a prospect is ready to contribute. Personally, that's not something that factors into my evaluations, but I can't speak for the team and, and they may want someone who may be, you know, ready to step in a little bit sooner or the timeline's a little bit shorter for that person. But I like, I like Zaire for, for those reasons. Um, you know, I think the other couple wing type players in that range, one is, is Moses Moody, who, who may even be able to step in a little bit sooner than Zaire, because I think there's less of a defensive um, liability with him as, and as well as his role might be a little more simplified in terms of, Hey, we're going to plug you in in this three and D type of situation and then layer in the rest of your skill set. Uh, likewise, Franz Wagner, uh, similar type of player who can, who's, who's a beast on the defensive end and then can do all these ancillary things on the offensive end, kind of fill in the cracks of, of what the, they need in any particular lineup. And then the last guy is the, is the pure shooter, which is Corey Kispert. And he'd be the target if you're like, okay, we need someone to try and step in day one and space the floor out for, for our, um, you know, our other talents. And so I think you have a, a nice group of wings there. And depending on who else may fall on the board, the Pelicans definitely have a lot of options. Yeah. yeah uh, I, go ahead, Stone. I, I was just going to say, um, as far as Moses Moody, I'm obviously a, a pretty big Moody fan, uh, as I think a lot of draft shooter sort of people are. Um, but I think he fits really well in terms of what the Pelicans can use as a 3 and D guy. Uh, and eventually as, as more of like a passer too. Um, when, you know, Ingram sets Irvin when he's on, just uh, adding a little bit more uh, dynamics to, to the team on court. Um, and then Wagner, I think, can actually help fill a role immediately just with his defense. I think uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of um, a big learning curve for him in, in terms of his defense translating. So I, I think he would be able to um, fit in and, and probably honestly be like one of their better perimeter defenders uh, from day one. Uh, and I think at number 10, it's there, it's kind of a tricky spot because um, obviously that, you know, first, five or six picks are kind of slated. We know where they're going to go. And then after that, it's kind of open, opened up a bit. Um, and hopefully, you know, the, the Pelicans have kind of their, their pick of the crop in terms of what wing they may want to select. But uh, the, another guy I wanted to throw at you, who's a little, not quite a wing, but more of a guard, um, who I've actually risen on recently, but I, I think would might fit well in the Pelican system would be uh, James Booknight, someone I think that, uh, can give them another extra punch uh, in terms of scoring and uh, then defensively, you know, not give it all back. So I wanted to get your thoughts real quick on, on how you think book kind of fills in on the Pelicans roster. Yeah. He's a prospect that's grown on me a ton. I think he's quickly moved into my top 10 overall for my big board. And, and for a lot of the reasons described and kind of what I mentioned with his ability to get, create his own offense, to score uh, at all three levels. If his shot is good, right? He didn't shoot entirely well at, at UConn, but if his shot ends up manifesting itself in a way to where defenses have to 
respect him and they can't go under on his screens, he's going to be a very deadly scorer for a very long time. I think what's going to help him take the leap from just being an instant offense type player is, is can he add in playmaking reads and can he start making his teammates better by leveraging his scoring prowess? And by all accounts, it seems like he's the type of player that's going to put in the work to make sure that happens. And I, I thought his passing reads were better than given credit for while he was at UConn. So I'd be excited if the Pelicans had the opportunity to draft him. He's definitely someone I'm looking at if, if golden States or whoever ends up, trading for that seventh overall pick doesn't take him at seven you know I'm looking for Orlando to say hey we have RJ Hampton Cole Anthony Markel Fultz let's pass up on on another guard here and then likewise with Sacramento you know they already have Halliburton and uh, De'Aaron Fox maybe maybe they don't see the fit there and they want to really focus on that duo of a backcourt uh, if, if Book Knight falls to 10 I'd be pretty excited and I wanted to ask you guys since we're talking about guards now what's your opinion on Keon Johnson uh, is, and then his teammate, Jaden Springer. I've seen those two players kind of uh, around that range as well. Obviously, some mocks are lower on those guys considerably, and, and some mocks are considerably higher. And so I'm curious what you guys think of those two as, as players and then and their fits on the Pelicans. Davis, do you want to take Keon and then I'll let Stone uh, take Jaden? And then I have a, one last name I want to bring up for this 10th pick. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm I'm probably a little lower on on Keon um, than most, but he's still he's still of course the first round guy for me. Um, he's obviously a really good defender. Um, I know the shooting wasn't really there, um, which is kind of why I I don't like the fit for the Pelicans because I I feel like they need spacing or shooting um, the most. Um, and I, I don't feel like he brings that at least right away. Um, he could maybe develop it um, in, in a few years down the line, but um, I, I I would definitely rather have Book Knight or um, or Wagner or uh, Wagner or definitely Moody because I'm I'm a really really uh, big Moody guy as well. Um, but uh, defensively, obviously, it's a good it's a good uh, get for the Pelicans guard wise, but. Um, it doesn't really help the scoring and, and spacing aspect of it that they need, in, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. Um, I mean, so with the 10th pick, like, I, I mean, really any pick, I think, outside of Cade, I think there's going to there's too many holes to fill with one guy uh, in terms of what the Pelicans need. I don't think they'll get it all in necessarily one pick. Obviously, they have a lot of ammo to sort of switch things up a bit, though. Um, so I, I think... Springer um, brings more offensively than Keon. Uh, I think at least he's projected to. And, and defensively, I don't think the gap is big enough to really justify taking Keon over Springer just because, I mean, Springer's one of the youngest guys in this draft, showed a lot of shooting upside, um, some creation upside, uh, j just stuff that I don't think Keon has really advanced in at this point in time or, or really – even showed a whole lot of flashes of uh, during his time at Tennessee. And obviously Tennessee was not, you know, an optimal situation for a lot of these prospects, but I think um, given the circumstances, Jaden Springer showed a bit more in, in the offensive regards uh, opposed to, to Keon. Um, so I would definitely consider Springer over Keon at this pick. And I think um, in, in terms of his fit with the Pelicans, 
he he's a difficult evaluation, but I think he does. There's there's a lot of avenues to success with him offensively that I think um, there's a lot of opportunity for him to be able to be a positive contributor on that end. Um, and then defensively, obviously, he's so strong uh, that it gives him a bit of an edge on that that end as well. So I think Springer is definitely a viable pick here at ten for them. Yeah, I sec. Oh, go ahead, Shamit. Oh yeah, I mean, I think I think you guys are consistent with my evaluation of those two guys. I I do think you know if everything breaks right, um, I, I would give the edge to Keon in terms of ceiling, but I think in the things he has to do in order to reach that ceiling are, are greater than uh, what Springer has to do. I think the floor with, with Springer is, is obviously higher um, for, for a lot of the reasons you guys mentioned. Yeah, I would agree. And then another guy I wanted to bring up, uh, Schmidt, you brought up that book night might fall because after seven, the team sort of picking after their kind of have guard spots filled. Um, and that might point to someone who a lot of people have brought up as their nightmare scenario to get picked this high. Um, and that's Davion Mitchell. Um, you know, Davion has sort of been rather contentious among uh, draft Twitter versus sort of mainstream draft evaluators. So Shemit, I wanted to get your perspective on Davion Mitchell and his fit with the Pelicans. Cause he's a name I've actually seen linked there in quite a few mocks from, from some pretty, somewhat connected people so i kind of you know is that a nightmare scenario for you as well like it was for evan zamir with the warriors at seven or do you think there's some sense there with the pelicans and davion mitchell yeah i would definitely be disappointing i'm not sure i want to say nightmarish but definitely disappointing i'm not in on a player who is uh, about six feet six foot um didn't measure out well with with his wingspan uh, he's one of the older prospects in the draft. He's only had one-ish good year of, of production, like really good year of production. Obviously, he's defended at a high level um, for, for a long time. But, you know, that kind of defense, that kind of tenacity, I think is growing less and less important in the NBA, in my opinion, especially if you're projected only to be a one-position defender, maybe 1. 1.5 because he just doesn't have the size. And when you look at guys like Drew Holiday, who were considered like the cream of the crop when it comes to guard defense, they're having trouble with guys like Trey Young. They're having trouble with the Devin Bookers and the Chris Pauls. And so, and, and Drew Holiday's a, a fantastic player and has been, you know, elemental in the Bucks reaching as far as they have. But for me to invest that in, in, an older prospect who where I think they has comparable guards in terms of production, if not better, um, it would be disappointing. I, I just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not big on him. I think if I had a pick in the twenties would love that. If I had, a, if you know, if I picked him outside of the lottery, great. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not disappointed, but I, I just don't think with 10 being as precious of a resource as it is, I, I just don't, I'm not supportive of drafting that kind of player. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Uh, Davion was someone who I was higher on um, before March Madness, and then March Madness kind of happened, and and everyone sort of passed me by. Um, he sits like 18 on my board, but outside of my lottery tier. Um, and I'd agree with you. Just think, with the 10th pick, a team that's built like the Pelicans, where you have your superstar, you need to swing a little higher than what I think Davion will bring to you. Um, 
and, and especially I think you need to swing higher on a wing like a Zaire Williams or even a Franz Wagner, like you mentioned. Um, any of the guys I think we mentioned here, I think would be better picks uh, than Davion, except maybe Keon Johnson. Um, but with that being said, uh, we've talked a lot about who we think the Pelicans are going to pick here. But I kind of wonder if there's any potential trade scenarios with this pick or with players on the roster. Um, Shamit, do you do you have any trades in mind or any trades you think make sense? Or, or how do you think that's going to play down? Do you think they make this pick or do you think it's dealt? That's a great question because I think literally every possible scenario is on the table from trading up if there's a player they really, really love because they have uh, a ton of draft assets to do so to trading back if they're not happy with how the board's shaken out and they see, okay, maybe there is a guy like Kispert who's falling to 16 or something like that. And they can trade back with OKC, um, get 16, maybe get, you know, get another pick out of it and, and um, you know, diversify their assets there. Or like you said, trade the pick along with some salary for veterans who can contribute now. So I think what's going to happen with this pick is, it's going to go till the absolute last moment. They're going to be on the clock and, and the, you know, there's going to, the, the clock's going to be ticking and we're going to see a Woj tweet. It's like, Oh, the Pelicans are interested in, um, you know, exploring trades for this. And then basically like 30, 40 seconds before it's uh, announced what's going to happen with it. Um, there, there'll be a decision made based off all of the offers that are at the table at that time. And, and kind of the example I've been using here is, um, when Miami had the 10th pick justice Winslow was on the board and the Celtics came over the top and offered four first round picks for justice Winslow. I don't believe that there's going to be a prospect at 10, the Pelicans feel so strongly about that. They're going to, that would, they would turn down such an offer, but I think they will hundred percent open the, leave the window open for that kind of offer to come through. And that's why I'll go down to the wire um, with, with regards to that pick. And, and likewise, you know, if there's someone really exciting that has fallen, they're going to be calling around, you know, saying, hey, do you guys want to, someone, does someone want to move up for this player and can we grab something out of it? And and so it may be a cop out by me saying like every possibility is on the table, but I really truly believe every possibility is on the table and they're not married to this in any sense. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, go ahead, Stone. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think I agree here um, in terms of just, uh, collecting the best available assets, but like the most valuable assets, whether it be taking someone with that pick or if you could get squeeze more value out of that is probably the, the right direction for them. Uh, because I don't think you're going to necessarily get a player at 10 who's, who's going to be like, you know, a building block or anything like that, or someone who even, you know, immediately is like a significant piece of your roster uh, from day one. So I think there's, there, I mean, there's possibility for that to happen, but it's just not a super likely outcome. So I, I think trying to maximize value um, and, and see maybe maybe you can trade down a few spots because somebody really likes somebody that's still there at 10. Maybe, like, maybe somebody really likes Wagner and Wagner's still there. And if you can move down uh, to 14 with the Warriors and, and squeeze another you know, a uh, future pick out of it or something, then go for it. Because I think um, just maximizing value and uh, maybe gaining extra draft capital that you can, and then turn uh, to, to package alongside, whether it be a Bledsoe or a Steven Adams, 
um, makes a lot of sense for them. So, so just getting the best available uh, value is definitely the route for them to go, I think. Absolutely agree. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of examples of picks to round 10 moving for, for those kind of moves. And I think, you know, Philadelphia, um, they, they had 10 in which they traded to Orlando for 12 and they selected Dario Saric, uh, Orlando selected Alfred Payton at 10 and they got a future pick out of it, which was their own, you know, was their own pick that they had sent a long time ago, but they netted another first out of it and they only dropped two slots back in the draft. And, and that's absolutely something I would want the Pelicans to explore because I, I don't think there's an enormous gap between 10 and 12 or 10 and 13 and, and maybe even, you know, 10 and 14. Right. So if there's teams in that range that, that want to want to drop, absolutely. I will, I would love to take on additional assets to do so. Yeah, I think that's fair. And uh, just before we get out of here, uh, I'm not one to play trade machine roulette or anything, but a name I have seen played in trade machine roulette, uh, a few times is Brandon Ingram. Uh, Schmidt, do you think there's any way Brandon Ingram is not on this team to start the 2021 season? Or do you think that's all smoke? Oh, I think it's wishful thinking from other fan bases and uh, even, you know, other, other people in the league. They want to manifest something. And when you have a team that's underperformed, um, every organization looks at those teams and tries to find a distressed asset whether or not those assets are going to be available in any sense. Um, with the Pelicans, David Griffin is an enormous Brandon Ingram fan. Like I cannot overstate how much that man loves Brandon Ingram. And so the only way I can see Brandon Ingram moving is if Damian Lillard became available and that's all Portland wanted. I think if Damian Lillard was available, the Pelicans would still try to make a big three and offer every single draft pick that they have because they, they can trade nine first round picks this uh, this draft and then all the young players and everything else to try to you know put together a big three. And if you know, despite that, Portland put the foot foot down and said, Hey, we want Brandon Ingram, I think they would fold. But that's the only kind of situation I can imagine is when you have a superstar at the level of Damian Lillard, who's basically locked in for four years on his contract. So there's no risk of there's no flight risk with that superstar. Um, so I don't I don't expect Damian Lillard to be moving this summer. Uh, next summer, I can totally see it. I think they give, you know, Chauncey Phillips a, a, a fair shake. In, in Portland, I think Dame gives him a fair shake, so to speak, because he was one of the coaches that he put his weight behind. Um, and, and so I don't expect things to shake up there. And I don't expect players similar to Lillard really becoming available. So expect Brandon Ingram to be a Pelican for sure. Yeah, I would agree. I think those star trades are, are much more rare than people want to think, um, especially mm -hmm. right now with, with just the amount of team control all around. Um, but with that being said, and, and this can include a Brandon Ingram trade, uh, I mentioned the nightmare scenario for some has been taking Davion Mitchell. Schmidt, do you have any nightmare scenario, a guy kind of mocked in this range that you really don't want them to take or a trade you really hate for them to make? Just, you know, as a Pelicans fan, as a Pelicans uh, writer, like, like, is there any, is there anything you really don't want them to do with this 10th pick? Yeah, I would, I would hate for them to use it to get off of Adams or Bledsoe. Uh, if I can turn Adams and Bledsoe into a, like a very productive player, like a quasi all-star or something like that, even if I have to add on top of 10, great. But if my sole purpose is like, I just don't want them on the team, um, I would hate, for, hate to do that. And, and the reasoning I give to folks is like, okay, like 
let's say like in a vacuum, if I offered you guys pick number 22 and pick number 26 for the 10th pick, would you say yes? No, no. (laughs) Right. So if you won't say yes there, why not just attach a future Lakers pick or in a future bucks pick? If you really want to dump those guys and you're still giving up less value than, than 10. And so I think there's other ways to explore moving those if you really want to move them. I don't think, you know, for the record, I don't believe the Pelicans um, feel any kind of urgency to really get those guys off the roster by expending a ton of assets. I'm sure they'll be able to flip them into something else. Like, you know, uh, guys that have similarly poor contracts but fit better, um, that's kind of the the, the mold I'm looking for in in terms of a trade that you can – throw in a few second round picks to um, to grease the wheels of a trade. But if they were to attach 10 to kind of get something like that done, I'd be really disappointed. I think if you do everything right with regards to building around Zion, you're not ever going to have a pick this high again. So it's a very valuable opportunity to do something good with it. And just using it to move contracts would be a poor, uh, poor use of assets in my opinion. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely fair. Go ahead, I think using using an asset to get off of, uh, I guess, a bad asset is never really a good move for a team. I think um, that's a mistake a lot of times for, for a lot of uh, front offices where they try to uh, use a really valuable asset just so they can clear cap space for something that's not any sort of given or anything. Um, so, so taking that chance to just move off of a, a negative asset, I think, is uh, not optimal for for a lot of situations. Um, but we do the, the Pelicans do have a lot of other picks. Um, I know we spend a lot of time on ten, and rightfully so. Um, and obviously, they're not going to make all these other second round pick selections. It's probably pretty unlikely. Uh, but in the event that they keep one or maybe two of them, are there any second round guys that? Uh, you like for the Pelicans or even undrafted guys that you think uh, they might be able to snag off the bargain bin? And um, how, do, how do you see uh, their fits in New Orleans? For sure. This is where I'm really looking at those upperclassmen, wing-type shooters, uh, guys that you would hope can step in um, relatively quickly. I think the the, the best-case scenario is, is you're able to find this draft class, Desmond Bain, um, obviously Desmond Bain was a very good prospect and likely fell way too low in his own draft class because draft Twitter was very high on him and, you know, and the NBA executives weren't because of his age and limited potential, blah, blah, blah. But that's, that's the kind of mold you go after in the second round. And so like, I'm looking at Isaiah Livers, I'm looking at Joey Scamp. Um, uh, you know, if Trey Murphy ends up falling in that range, or if you have to combine a couple picks to move up um to, into the the late first round to get them you know some something like that uh there's there's some interesting guards i don't know if we'll fall that far like i think they're quietly rising on on draft boards or guys like trey man and, and bones highland were once projected as second round picks and now i think are probably solidly in the first round but if you feel you could have to add a, a future first round pick with one of these seconds to to get one of them if you love them i say go for it i think the the flexibility the pelicans have with second round picks at literally every stage in the second draft, in addition to future draft capital allows them to draft who like the one person they've identified uh, that they feel really strongly about and, and they can go, get, they can go get that guy. I mean, I think there's a couple others. Uh, there's a couple international players I'd be interested in, but 
Um, again, they just have such flexibility to where they could use a couple of these picks, you know, and turn them into maybe two-way contracts as well as use a couple of the others and just stash players. And so maybe, I, I mean, I doubt they're using all four of them, but they could if that's what they wanted. Yeah, I'm generally someone who's opposed to consolidation just because I think a lot of times you're selling um, for, you know, maybe 80 cents on the dollar uh, because you know, teams have sort of that leverage knowing you have to consolidate at some point. Uh, that being said, obviously, there's points where it's necessary. And for the Pelicans, I think it would be um, th- this would be that. Um, but there, there's definitely a lot of teams or, uh, excuse me, players out there that I think in the second round can be of value for them, like you said, as, as shooters. Uh, I think there's always, uh, like in free agency, you know, there's always sort of those uh, guys that could come in, play 10 minutes and get you a couple of threes when you desperately need it. Uh, maybe that's a, a Wies camp late in this draft or a Sam Hauser, um, somebody in that late second that can do that. Uh, there's also some interesting international guys, like you said. Uh, so I'll give it to, to Bryce and, and Davis uh, if they like any of those international guys, because I know uh, between the three of us, there's, there's a few of us, there's a few uh, players that we're, we're pretty high on. Yeah, so for me, I'll start off by just saying, um, you know, er- earlier, Stone, you mentioned that there's no one player who's going to fill all the holes at that 10th pick. And and you're right about that 10th pick, but maybe there's uh, there's <laughs> one Mario Nokic who could uh, fill a lot of those holes in the second round. Uh, I'm kidding, but at the same time, Nokic is a really, really good player, a really good fit here. Um, he, he, he reminds me a lot of... Uh, uh, just any sort of really solid wing player you would want, you know, both Bogdanoviches or Joe Ingles or whoever, just like he, he fills that type of role. He can handle the ball really well. Um, he, he makes smart passes, not, not like an incredible passer, but I think he can run a good pick and roll. Uh, he, he shoots. He's a really, really accomplished shooter. Um, there's just a lot to like with Nokic. Um, I think he's gone a little underrated. He's someone who I think will get drafted because there's a lot of teams in the Pelican situation where they have multiple picks. I don't think they're going to be able to sell all of them and they're going to have to draft some stashes. Um, I think he could be a guy like that. Bryce, you're cutting up. My Wi-Fi is so annoying. Um, is it okay now? Bryce, Bryce you're cutting out pretty heavy. Hey, you're cutting out a little bit, yeah. Um, give me one. Are you now? Can you hear me? Yeah. There you go. You're I'm good. switching Wi-Fi back, so my, I'm so sorry. My Wi-Fi is all messy. Um, did you hear me talk about Nokic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we heard yeah. like the first couple minutes, and then you were you were uh, you were saying like how good of a fit he was, and then I think that's sort of when you started breaking up. Okay, so I'll just uh, I'll just end it by saying you know he's just a really good fit because. Uh, every team could use a do-it-all wing, especially a team that has their superstar like Zion Williamson. Uh, you can never have too many wings. Um, and then one other guy, I'll let, I'll let Davis talk about our guy, Vrenz. Um, another guy who I just um, who I just kind of started watching, who, who, who's risen on my board, who I'm kind of a fan of, is Nikita Mikhailovsky. Mikhailovsky. Um, he is another sort of kind of do-it-all wing. Not quite the ball handler Nokic is, but probably a slightly better athlete. Um, he's, he's big and long and lanky. 
really skinny, but he has good touch around the rim. He, he likes to just really try and get downhill. He, he makes good decisions with the ball. Um, weird looking shot, but it, it goes in a lot. Um, he, you know, he's one of those guys. Uh, it's it, And even with Nokic too, sometimes it's just about, you know, are those guys really athletic enough to make it in the NBA? You don't really know until they're over here, but I think they're, they're good bets. Um, just like uh, I talk about him a ton on this podcast, I feel like, but just like Arnoldas Kobaka was a little while ago, uh, they, they both sort of remind me of him where it's just take him. He's a solid bet, bring him over in a year or two, and, and he can potentially fill a really important role. Um, so those are two guys who I really like, uh, Davis, I'll let you hit on, on Brent and his potential, uh, his potential. Yeah. New Orleans. I would definitely say, uh, um, Vrans as far as second round international guys, especially with Pelicans having four, um, picks, he's kind of that do it all wing. Well, he's kind of, he's kind of like positionless, um, honestly, but he, he can kind of fill any role. Um, when he came on the podcast, he said he was like a secondary playmaker. So he knows his role. He knows, you know, what he, what he's going to go do. And, um, I feel like he can, he can, he might take a little bit to, to kind of produce right away, but in, in the second round, it's definitely worth, worth the, uh, a chance there. Um, another guy I like, he's not an international guy, but he has risen on, on some boards and he kind of boosted his, his draft stock. Um, quite a bit from undrafted to now um, second round, even, even some first round talk, which is Quentin Grimes. Um, kind of a, a big guard. That's really, really boosted his, his stock. Um, really, really good shooter. Are you shown he's a better shooter um, or at least working on it. And, and I feel like a second round at this point, it, he might be worth uh, taking, taking a chance for a team like new Orleans. Yeah, and that's that's really the beauty of like having these four picks is like you can take multiple stabs at these guys. And and also, if you're if you're going international, you could stash them. You're not obligated to uh, utilize a roster spot. And then with the two way contracts, that's another two roster spots that you don't have to take. And so uh, you're right. I mean, all those guys, I'm, I'm really intrigued by friends. I mean, especially at his size his release. It's it's pretty incredible. Um, he would definitely be someone uh, with an upside I would like to gamble on. Um, and then there's those, those safer players uh, like Herb Jones or Aaron Henry um, guys that are, are upperclassmen or, or, or seniors that are going to be defensive forwards that can come in and play basketball. And if you can unlock a shot, you know, if you can teach them to shoot uh, consistently, man, you might have a steal on your hands, but otherwise like they they do a lot of things on the defensive end. Um, and, and so really at each one of these picks, you can take a different archetype of player um, or a different gamble. And, and hopefully one of the four you hit on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just one last name I wanted to bring up someone who I've also watched a lot of recently, who I really enjoy is uh, DJ Stewart, um, not Stewart, uh, but just a really solid okay. weight. Uh, you know, you've mentioned like you can look for some upperclassmen wing shooters like an Isaiah Livers. Um, I think DJ Stewart kind of fills that role, too. He's he's kind of got a little underrated lefty shooter, uh, not like the best shooting numbers, but he takes a lot of difficult shots. He has some versatility on it, has some ability to get downhill. Um, pretty, pretty rough defender right now. But in the second round, you're just looking for bets like that. You never know. Um, you know, he could be a, a Dylan Brooks S steal. Um, just a guy who I've, who I've liked watching recently. 
Um, but yeah, there's a lot of guys there um, who, who, who just make a lot of sense. Like you mentioned, Sermon, it's like with this many picks, you can just sort of, you can, you can take bets at, at interesting roster construction and, and, and just sort of play around with it. So uh, there's a lot to like there. They're, they're having their inaugural G League season as well next year. And so you could even just take some of those guys and drop them in the G League and give them a full year under, um, you know, maybe a higher diet of offensive possessions that they would get in a, re- in a regular NBA team and get them minutes, get them experience. Maybe some of these guys that haven't had the kind of on-ball reps, um, you, you give them that kind of freedom in the G League, see how they're developing. The, the Raptors are a really good example of an organization that kind of brings guys through their, their development program um, slowly and then, and then incorporates them and gives them um, roles that they can handle initially and then expands them. And so if, if the Pelicans can kind of create that pipeline with their G League team, with the number of picks that they're, they have this year and, and they're projected to have going forward each year, uh, that would be ideal because then you're looking at building a sustainable culture. I, I think sustainable is a trigger word for Pelicans fans because David Griffin loves to use it. And, and so far, a lot, not a lot of sustainable winning has been done, but that the, that's the idea behind it is that hopefully you can create this pipeline of talent. And that way, when your roster gets really expensive because your good players cost a lot of money, you can fill in the cracks with the cheaper players because of these draft picks. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's, that's sort of the secret to t- team building, right? I mean, the Spurs have done it and it's just the best teams draft well in the second round and it's, you know, it's no secret. Um, uh, yeah. So this is, uh, this has been awesome. Shaman, is there anything else you want to, you want to hit on or, or stone or Davis? Is there anything else you guys want to hit on before we um, start to wrap things I, I, up? I did want to say uh, with the NBA draft being so soon, uh, when are you, when are you looking at the the Pelicans getting a coach, or who would you who would you look for, and do you think it like kind of plays a part in? Yeah, I, I don't think the the coach really plays a part in, in who they're going to draft. So the coaching the coaching search uh, for those who aren't in the know um, is down to two candidates who are currently in the finals, and that's Willie Green with the Phoenix Suns, and that's Charles Lee with the Milwaukee Bucks. And word on the street is they've already made up their mind and, and it's looking like it's going to be Willie Green. Obviously, they'll announce it when they announce it. Um, but as far as getting those guys in-house, I don't think announcing the, the coach gives them the ability to really come in and evaluate draft picks while they're actively coaching uh, the finals. So, you know, whenever the finals resolve, I'm sure the coaching situation will be announced around then, if not a little bit before. I mean, if at this rate, if the Suns win in four, it's only a couple more games um, before yeah. before it's announced. Uh, but I think overall, I don't think the organization is is going to rely too much on the coach's input uh, because again, the Pelicans just need talent. And and if you're if you've done your research as an organization and the coach that you're hiring, it's the coach's job to make the talent work. Um, and so I, I think gone are the days that coaches have this rigid system and you kind of like try to develop players into the good fit into that system. Um, I think more and more you're seeing the coaches that are the most adaptable, um, finding the most success coaches that can really work and tailor their system to the kind of players that, that are on the team. They're having the most success. Whereas like the Alvin Gentry's of the world who can only play one particular play style and 
And I think the Pelicans kind of ran up against it with, with Stamen Gundy and it's contributed to their parting of ways is, you know, if you're too rigid with, with what your, your um, philosophy is, you're not going to find much long-term success in today's NBA. Yeah. I think that's well said. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, this has been awesome. Uh, Shamit is an excellent follow. I'm going to let him plug his stuff here in a second. Um, but this this has been awesome. I love to be back podcasting. I feel like we hit on a lot of really interesting names. The Pelicans are just an interesting team. Uh, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram is a really solid core, playing two of the most important positions in basketball. Um, but they've really struggled to build a roster around these two. I mean, I don't know if anyone thought it was a good idea. To, to be starting Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams alongside Zion Williamson. Um, it just, uh, like, from the beginning, it just sort of seemed like, you know, you're kind of wondering what's going on here. You know, you, I, I like to think of names like a Miles Turner, or, you know, like we didn't bring him up, but like a Kai Jones with the 10th pick, like maybe get a center who can who can uh, shoot a little bit, but then, you know, you, you worry about the thing since Zion created his own spacing by just being so strong. Now so you're just, you're hitting on my nightmare scenarios now, which okay. is <laughs> which is investing high assets in in more bigs. Um, Pelicans have already done that with Jackson Hayes. They spent a pick to get Stephen Adams, um, Miles Turner. I, I I understand a lot of people um, would like him on the Pelicans. Just it, it seems like a seamless fit. He can theoretically shoot and and block shots. He's this kind of unicorn. Um, I get it. And you know what? You know maybe Miles Turner just does end up on the Pelicans, and I have to eat a lot of the words that, that I've said about him over the past few months. But, um, you know, I think, I think I'm, I'm a proponent of building around Zion and Brandon Ingram in a way that one, you know, you're not relying on the big man, so to speak, um, when it comes to closing games. So I would like a, a solid big man that I can play and, and play in matchups that require me to play that big. But when it comes down to it, I would love to go small um, and not with Zion at center. I think that's kind of the conventional idea is like, hey, let's put Zion at center. I don't think he's good enough defensively or can rebound the ball adequately enough to really hold down that center position. And he's going to be initiating from the perimeter offensively anyway. Um, I would like to bring in, you know, big wings, big forwards who, who can do that dirty work, who can, who, uh, you know, kind of like the Robert Covingtons and PJ Tuckers of the world. Obviously those guys, um, are a little bit older. And so that's kind of what I would like to aim at in the draft, you know, maybe get someone that can uh, close those games out at five and, and you're not having a rebounding liability on the floor and, and you allow Zion and Ingram to, to, to play in space. That would be my ideal is to invest assets and those kind of players. And like the, the peak of that kind of player I, I I'm looking at in the league right now is OG and Anobi. Um, you know, the, the Raptors do tremendous things when it comes to defensive versatility and they literally have him play and defend every position. Um, and so I don't think OG is available, but getting those kind of players that I can close games out with rather than investing more assets in bigs would be my preference. And so if they drafted a Kai Jones while we have Jackson Hayes on the roster and Steven Adams hasn't gone anywhere, oh my gosh, that, that's a nightmare scenario to me. I mean, I think either you're drafting Jackson Hayes 2.0 at that point. And likewise with Miles Turner, I would like for them to see what they have in Jackson before they invest assets in, in Miles. Um, I think in a perfect world, Jackson can turn into, uh, can give you a lot of what Miles gives you. Um, but I think Jackson has better physical tools, especially on the perimeter. And, and he, may be, he may turn into a bit more complete offensive player. 
Yeah. Uh, sounds like the player you're describing you want is Jeremiah Robinson, Earl. So <laughs> the Pelicans worked him out. So, you know, they're, they're doing their homework on him. And uh, I would, I, I would, you know, that's what these second round picks are for. Or if you had to combine a couple to move up for him, that's what they're for. Go, you know, yeah. if you love him, go get him. Exactly. Yeah, he's a wonderful small ball five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's too much propaganda there to spread. Um, my, my final question before we get out of here, I know we kept you for a while and I appreciate you coming on, um, would be how how do you view the backcourt filling out uh, this offseason? I know Lonzo is a free agent. Uh, I know uh, off of the podcast we talked about how uh, I don't think you believe he'll be coming back. Um, do you think Kira sees like a, any sort of starter role, uh, maybe in like the second half of the season? Um, how, how do you see that backcourt playing out? Ideally, uh, ideally they're able to find a strong lead guard, but if they're not able to find a strong lead guard to, and, and I would like to pair that lead guard with Nikhil Alexander Walker, I would just go ahead and start, excuse me, Nikhil Alexander Walker slide Brandon Ingram down to the two and, and then go add in one of these wing players that I've been talking about. Um, you know, someone that can defend multiple positions and, and hit the three at a, at a decent rate. That way you're a bigger size team and because I think Zion's going to get a pretty big diet, no pun intended, of, of pick and roll <laughs> possessions and on ball possessions, uh, as well as Brandon Ingram. And so those two are going to be your primary initiators. And so what I would like is for my other perimeter players to be able to play off of those a little bit more, but not be completely useless um, when it comes to like, hey, if they need to attack and close out, attack a closeout or create something in a pinch or, you know, like be able to uh, break down a defense, I would like for them to have some semblance of that ability and to just to make the offense more dynamic. Yeah, yeah that's that's sure. uh, that's a perfect answer to end it. Um, it it kind of shows just Schmidt is so knowledgeable um, and he's a great follow. We're in a group chat together. Just a great guy. Uh, Schmidt, I'm going to throw it back to you to just sort of tell the people everywhere they can find you, where they can find your work. Uh, just everything, everything, plug yourself to your heart's content. Uh, we'll sit here for 30 minutes if we got it. Just let the people know. You, you guys are way too kind. No, I'll, I'll keep it simple. <laughs> you can follow me at Fear the Brown on Twitter. And then I do a Pelicans-based podcast called In the Know, which is N-O, like New Orleans. And um, those are the two places you can predominantly find me. And if not, all that information is available on my twitter profile so um i appreciate your guys's time and thanks for thanks for indulging me and, and talking talking draft stuff yeah of course uh thanks so much for coming on uh, this was great uh stone do you want to let the people know where they can find you and what they got to do yeah uh you can just follow me at report underscore court and all my work is there uh and then if you guys want to follow the podcast at upside swings um, and then if it always helps if you guys just rate and review us, uh, helps us defeat the algorithm and uh, grow to reach our audience. Absolutely. Davis? Um, you can find follow me on Twitter at Sports by Davis. Um, I basically post, post everything right there. Yeah, and uh, I'm at Bryce Hendrick 14. Uh, this has been awesome. We want to thank Shamit again. We want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, this has been the Upside Swings Draft Podcast. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.